0: Jeff Dixon and I'm the pastor of Life, Miami and I want to thank you today for tuning into this podcast as we continue the series God Cannot Lie and looking today at the topic if he cannot lie then we must be able to take him at his word because God only speaks in truths we're going to look at four aspects of taking him at his word and as you listen to these apply them to your lives and see how we can make a difference through this and how we can move in a greater faith in our lives enjoy God bless you That's the thing about hanging out in the presence of God is why does it have to stop? Peace isn't just for this place. That what we do at Word of Life Miami is intended to, what we do in this corporate setting is intended to do something that causes us to be the church outside of these 90 minutes that we're together. That if this is the only time you encounter the presence of God, encounter his word, encounter Uh, what God has for us, and you're missing out on the best part of a relationship with God. Now, I love, I'll get this thing set in here in just a second. I love that, you know, if this is it, it's better than nothing, but you're missing out on so much more. Amen? So we started a, I didn't intend it to be a series, but it happened. Um, I started a, we'll call it a series called, And I don't have a slide for this. God cannot lie. And we spent last week talking about, and Aaron kind of set the stage this morning as he uh, opened or greeted everybody. This creative aspect of the words of God. That it's not restricting God, but it's really this part of when God speaks, he creates. Therefore, how can he lie if his very words are truth? And I want to take that to the next level with us today and address this. Aspect, go ahead, Abigail, of God in, if he cannot lie, then we must take him at His word. How cool is that? Let's take God at his word. And um, I'm going to talk about Abigail for just a minute. My Abigail has this ability to not take risks. Would you agree with that, Abigail? However. There have been a few things in her life that when she finally did them, when she finally trusted myself or Vanessa, she was glad she did. When she took me at my word, she wished she had done it earlier. Um, However, there was one time I remember, I will always remember the day that we were in Alvin, Texas, and we were at a camp there, I was preaching at a uh, youth group, and they have a camp on site, and they decided that Friday night that at part of their... This is the coolest youth group ever, right? They experience the presence of God and go karts and zip lines on a regular basis. I, I could never compete with that. In Bentonville, I could, we could have the presence of God, which is better than go karts and zip lines, right? But, but anyway, um, so Abigail looks at me, and she says, I'm going to do the zip line. Will you go with me? Now, what Abigail didn't know at the moment is, I don't do zip lines. I don't go up that high and let my feet hang from a cord that you really can't see from the ground. It just doesn't happen. But if my Abigail was going to go, it might as well have been two miles high. It's probably not not even that high. But if she was going to go that high and just jump off the edge of the cliff and asked me to go along, I could not show any fear. I had to trust the systems that were in place to get on that stupid zip line. So I strap in, and I carry my rope and my harness and my carabiner to the top of that. You remember this, right, Abigail? To the top of that thing, and we hook in. And Abigail just goes. I was praying all the way up. She's going to give up. She's going to give up. She's not going to do it. She's going to get scared. She's not going to make this happen, the trips. I'm just going to walk up and be tired and have to walk back down. This will be fine. And she just flips on and jumps and goes. And I hear, woohoo. And I had no other option than to not be more scared than my daughter. How old was Abigail at that time? What, six? Maybe? Yeah? A little older than Claire? So I jumped, and something interesting happened. I had to take Abigail at her word, because in the moment that she jumped, her word was maybe not English, but it was full of excitement and thrill, and it wound up being so much fun. Not fun enough to do it twice, now, but... <laughs> But it was, it was crazy fun. I'm going to, I got to get this thing adjusted. It's falling. Oh, I love this thing because I have my hands free, but whatever. We're just going to deal with it. You see me pause? Um, But I think there's times in our lives where we all have to trust somebody and take each other at our words but you understand we've heard that fool me once shame on you fool me twice what's the phrase shame on me how many of you think that the United States of America that our culture has trust issues yeah no just me yeah how many of you think that that translates into our relationship with God How many of you think it's hard sometimes to step out and trust God? Yeah? Yeah? I think we find that in ministry. We find that in stepping out in faith to talk to people about how awesome our God is. What if they don't believe me? What if they ridicule me? What if they, uh, there's all kinds of what ifs, but what if God's actually telling the truth? Because if God, as we discussed last week, cannot lie, then the only obvious fact is he's telling the truth. Hmm. So I want to take just a few minutes. I'm going to share with you three stories out of the New Testament. As we unpack three ways to take God at his word. Three very practical ways to take God at his word. Word And the first one I'm going to unfold for you today is we take God at his word by sight. By sight. And this is really out of his love for us. And we find this at the fulfillment of his word. And we're going to look for just a few minutes at John chapter 4, verses 46 through 54. Now, all of it's going to be up there. But if you like, you can open your Bibles and write in them. Or highlight if you have U version or whatever, but I want to unpack some really cool things in this scripture. And here we are, Jesus in Cana, in the land of Galilee, and it says where he. Had, this is the the place where he had made water into wine. Now this is such a cool thing because if you'll remember when Jesus turned water into wine, this was the very first miracle that Jesus performed, and it was really out of obedience to his mama, right? If you remember, Mary came and said, they're out of wine, make this happen. Jesus said, yes, ma'am. And Jesus likes to do things in our lives. He likes to do things around him where he does not just a little, but does the full measure. You need to be reminded today in your life that Jesus is working the full measure the big work, the completed work in your life. As a matter of fact, when you look at that story of Jesus turning water into wine, the guests were complaining to the host that they saved the best for last. And they say, don't you know that you bring out the good stuff first? But Jesus doesn't ever do things partially. He doesn't do a lesser work in our lives. He does the full measure, the completed work. He who began a... Work in you is faithful to complete it. Right? He who began a good work in you, so here we are. He's in the land where he turned water into wine, and at at Capernaum there was a official whose son was ill. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea, now I'm going to stop there for just a minute because we're going to have several messages within the message now. There's something that we have got to understand about what God is doing here in Miami, especially through Word of Life Miami with the few that are sitting here today, is people are not going to know what God is doing here if they don't hear what he is doing, and they're not going to hear what he's doing unless those that are part of what he's doing say something about it. Are you with me? You cannot hear what God is doing unless something's being said that he is doing. Hearing doesn't happen in silence. Amen? Okay. So this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee. Or Galilee, He went to see him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The official said to him, Sir, come down before my son dies. I think it's really interesting. The man comes to Jesus. He says, Heal my son. Jesus says, You're not going to believe unless you see it. The man says, come anyway. Unless you see, Jesus says, he says, sir, come down before my child does. Quit playing games with me. Don't you know the urgency of the matter? Don't you know my son's dying and you're playing games with me? Jesus, who knows best, who knows our heart, who knows best how to deal with us so that we can be formed and molded to be better pursuers after the heart of God who is going to work the best way possible in our lives, is there's this tug of war going on in this situation here. The man is almost frustrated in his approach. But Jesus, after the man continues to push, says in verse 50, go, your son will live. And I love this. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him. The man's like, come, Jesus is like, you have to see to believe. The man's like, come. Jesus says, go. And it's interesting here, the man believes the word that Jesus spoke to him. The NIV translation says, the man took Jesus at his Word. And I think it's interesting that in close proximity to the presence of God, to close proximity to encounters with Jesus, it's simply a word spoken that moves us to believe that he will accomplish in our lives that which we have set out to ask him to accomplish in our lives. You see what's happening here. Jesus did not approach this man and lay out for him the plan that he had for him. The man approached Jesus with a need, with a request, and Jesus spoke and it happened. But it's in close proximity to Jesus where our requests become reality. Do you hear what I said? It's in close proximity to Jesus where when we get this Word from him, we can truly take him at his word. So as the man was going back down the word, the road, sorry, his servants met him and he told him that his son was recovering. What an awesome bit of news. He didn't even have to get home. The son was recovering. His servants were excited and they rushed to meet him on his way back home. And in verse 52, so he asked them the hour when he began to get better. And they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, this is the time he was speaking with Jesus, the fever left him. The father knew that this was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. And he himself believed and his household. And this was how the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea. And this was now the second sign. That Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. You see, what's interesting here is this was a by sight way that this man took Jesus at his word. He saw Jesus. He saw the miracle. He could take Jesus at his word. And this was strictly done because Jesus loved the man. And it was done at the fulfillment of his word. God cannot lie. I think it would have been a shame... If the man had gotten home and his son had died, but I'm so glad that the man chose to believe the word of God. I think every one of us in here today needs to remember what the word of God has said over our lives in regards to so many things. Health. I'm going to use the word prosperity. We sometimes shy uh, shy away from that word in the church today because it's seems to have been overused, but God wants us to prosper. In the area of faith, when was the last time you were believing for something bigger than yourself because He told us that we should do that? Are you standing for your marriage? Are you standing for somebody else's marriage? Because it is God's plan from the very beginning for restoration. Hmm. The second way in which we can Take God at his word. This is a fun one. It's by touch. By touch. He physically touches. He really wants to move in our lives through touch. There's an aspect in which we can encounter and feel and experience the very touch of the presence, the manifest, the Shekinah glory of God. This is something that I was hoping for as we worship God in this place today, that as we encountered, as we cried out, blow, mighty breath of God, that in this room we would experience a touch from the presence of the very most high God in this room, that he would manifest in this place, and things would happen in our lives that we could physically see and experience. You see, this is out of our desperation for intervention. This is where He comes in. We encounter His physical touch, and so we reach out to Him in desperation. He's made His presence known, and because our need for something in our lives, we reach out, and there is a Touch. Look with me at Mark chapter 5. The pronoun here at the beginning of this is referring to Jairus, who has come from a distance. His daughter, his 12 year old daughter, is dying. And there's a distraction that happens. Jesus is supposed to be on his way to Jairus' house to heal his daughter. And it says, as he and Jesus went with him, being Jairus, and a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for how many years? Twelve. I think it's a sidebar interesting that Jesus is on his way to Jairus's daughter who is twelve years old. To heal her. Who by the way. Has died or will die in this story. But resurrect. And here's this woman. A different generation. A greater. And when I say greater I don't mean better. An older generation. Who has suffered for the same amount of time. Verse 26. Who has suffered. She's been under many physicians. And she's spent all that she had. And she was no better, but rather she grew worse. Can you imagine the desperation that this woman has been going through? And I think this is a a very close picture of the church in America today, that she is struggling and she is desperately seeking something, but no matter how hard, she is growing weaker. She's losing her touch. She's losing her strength and she is... Maybe in a way, losing her effectiveness. She grew worse. And She had heard, there it is again, reports about Jesus. Again, she had heard reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd. Now, we had heard just moments before that there was a great crowd and they thronged about him. They were tightly compacted around him. It was hard to move through this crowd. Back to verse 28. For she said to herself, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And she does. And immediately the flow of blood dried up. And she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus perceiving in himself that power, the King James says, virtue had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? Can you believe that there's an encounter with God for us in this place where we pull from him, even when it wasn't his intention at the moment to do anything on our behalf? Who touched my garments, he says, and his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing around him, and yet you say, Who touched me? There's been people touching you all around. They've been gathered around you. There's been somebody touching your shoulder, and they've been touching your elbow, and somebody's brushed up against your side, and they've touched you here, and they've stepped on your foot, and they've pushed me into you. Of course someone touched you. Why would you ask such a silly question? Question Now, from the perspective of the woman who has been struggling with this issue of blood for 12 years, this is such a dangerous question to her, because by the very nature of her illness, she had no business even being in the crowd, for she was unclean. She should have been outside the city gates. How desperate are you? an encounter with Jesus. How desperate are you. To take him at his word. How desperate are you. To encounter the life giving. Life love. Life blood of Jesus Christ. To dry up that which is weakening you. And to pour out something upon you. That only strengthens you to move forward. In the grace and in the power. And in the moving of the Holy Spirit within your life. says who touched me he looked around to see who had done it but the woman knowing what had happened to her came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth and he said to her daughter your faith has made you well go in peace Be healed of your disease. So the first. Way we take God at his word is by sight. The second by touch. The third is by revelation. Look at your neighbor and say revelation. I like this one because this deals with trust. We have to really trust Him. Do you trust Him today? The first one is done out of His love for us. The next one is done out of our desperation for an intervention. And this one is done out of our trust in Him. Might spend a few more minutes on this one, Luke 18. This one is found in all three of the Gospels. Some have two men. This one we're going to talk about one man. He's named in I believe John's gospel as Bartimaeus. We're going to focus on Luke. Chapter 18 verse 35. And it says as he being Jesus drew near to Jericho. There was a blind man and he was sitting on the roadside begging. Hearing a crowd going by he inquired. What this meant. Why Why is there such a commotion? What is going on? And the crowd, they told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And I want to stop right here for just a minute. No, let me keep reading for a minute. Verse 38 says, and he cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Now I'll stop. I think it's really interesting. I like it when I read scripture and I see variations, not contradictions, but it's really interesting here. The, G, the crowd tells him it's Jesus of Nazareth, but who does he cry out for? Jesus, son of David. I, I would think that if I was told that Brad was coming, I wouldn't cry out for someone else. Now, in theory, we know that Jesus of Nazareth and Jesus, son of David, are one and the same. But the crowd was referring to someone by location, where he was from. Mm -hmm. But get this. Bartimaeus, in this very moment, already had a revelation of who Jesus was. Jesus of Nazareth was simply, this is a man. This is our earthly understanding of who he is. Jesus, son of David, goes to Jewish, Jewish customs. Jesus, son of David, referred to the Messiah. He was speaking out of a revelation, an instant revelation of who Jesus was. The crowd had it wrong. They believed him to be just a, a man, a prophet maybe, a good man. Really from a poor countryside. It was that son of or Jesus of Nazareth was in replies to a prophecy from Isaiah. Introduced to the blind man, the blind man turns around and instant in revelation he cries out, Jesus, son of David, Jesus, the one who has come to save not just me, but all of mankind, the one that was prophesied, the one that I know to be the Christ, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And those who were in front of him rebuked him because they were outside of revelation They had no idea. They told him, be silent. But he cried out even more, son of David. Even a stronger revelation. Let's drop the first name and let's go straight to the position in heaven. Son of David. We'll go from broad to specific to spot on. Nazareth, son of David, son of David, have mercy on me. The beggar had a proper image. He had a revelation Of who Jesus was. And I love Jesus' response to this man in this very instant. And I know it. I know that it had to have come out of this revelation in this moment. Because he says Jesus stopped and he commanded him to be brought to him. And when he came near, he asked him one of the most powerful questions that we could ever be asked. And I believe he's asking us in this room today, if you have a revelation of who he is, if you can believe him as the son of David, he's asking, are you ready for it? What do you want me to do for you? Man, I sense such power on that question. He's asking you today, what do you want me to do for you? The thing that we've got to watch in this question is he doesn't ask questions for the sake of hearing his own voice. But he's asking this question today with the intended purpose of answering it. Huh. Are you with me? He's not asking this question so he can turn it on you and turn it into a teaching moment to tell you why you're asking the wrong question or answer, yeah, asking him the wrong question. He's asking you this question so that he can fulfill the desires of your heart. Wow! How many of you are ready to have the desires of your heart fulfilled out of revelation for who Jesus is? A revelation of who Christ is will move Him to meet us. My prayer, my prayer today is that we would sit in this place in revelation of who Jesus is? The man responded, Lord, let me recover my sight. What a heavy question. Can you imagine? Remember, Jesus doesn't just partially answer. Let me recover my sight. Had to have been so much more than opening the receptors from his cornea to his brain. I think I said that right. I don't know. I'm not a doodad. A doctor. I'm not a scientist. It had to be so much more than that. It had to be that when Jesus answered he fulfilled the completion of the work that not only is this man sitting in Revelation that Jesus is the son of David, that he's the son of God, but here is this man sitting here that has been blind since birth and not only now does he get to gaze upon Jesus the man, but in this moment of Revelation he is now gazing upon Jesus the son of God. That echoed really cool in here. revelation you sense the presence of God in this place are we sitting in revelation today how clear is your eyesight Jesus said to him recover your eyesight your faith has made you Well, and immediately he recovered his sight and followed him. I love this. Glorifying God. You know, when we're sitting in revelation of who Jesus is, we will naturally glorify God. All the people around beforehand they were telling the man to shut up right and now even now when they see it they're giving praise to God hmm. this morning I was sitting where Aaron is and I was just hanging out There was a, a song I'd never heard playing in the room and it was really it was Jason Upton and if you know who that is it doesn't matter what he's singing it's But I'm sitting there, and I felt like God say, you're missing a point. There's a fourth one. So I don't have slides for this. You can go and just put the last one up, Abigail. So the first one we've got by sight. And this is out of his love for us. By touch, this is out of our desperation for intervention. Three, by revelation, this is out of our trust in him. And number four... Go with me to Hebrews eleven. There has to be an element of the unseen, doesn't there? There has to be an element of faith. We're so going to say by faith, by faith. This is unscripted. Not that any of that is really scripted. This this was blowing me away today. Ch- uh, Chapter 11, verse 8. It says, Faith. Everybody say, Faith. Faith, faith led Abraham to obey when God, God called him to a place that he would receive as an inheritance. Abraham left his own country without knowing where he was going. Faith led Abraham to live as a foreigner in a country that God had promised. Do you ever feel like a foreigner where you are today? He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who received the same promise from God. Abraham was waiting for the city that God had designed and built, the city with permanent foundations. Faith enabled Abraham to become a father, even though he was old and Sarah had never been able to have children. Abraham trusted that God would keep his promise. Abraham was good as dead. Yet from this man came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the grains of the sand on the seashore. And thinking of all these people that I didn't read about, Enoch and Abel and all these people died having faith. They didn't receive the things that God had promised them. But they saw these things coming in a distance. Or in a distant future, and rejoiced. They acknowledged that they were living as strangers with no permanent home on earth. Those who say such things make it clear that they are looking for their own country. If they had been thinking about the country they had left, they would have. They could have found a way to go back. Instead, these men were longing for a, a better country, a heavenly country. You see. One thing that we can take God at His word is through faith, all of this does come to an end. And by faith, we will receive an inheritance, we will receive a city, another country, a heavenly country. And one day, I've always taught, and I've changed my tune. One day, I think we've been taught that we will experience, we get saved, we meet Jesus, we move on, so that one day we can make our bed in heaven. But you see, what all of those people that we just read about, well, Abram, Abraham but, and the people before him, what we have that they did not have, Is Jesus. And the thing that's so powerful. About this side of the cross. Is that heavenly country. Came into existence today for us. Taking God at his word. Means we get to live in the benefits. The exposure. And the reality of heaven now. Faith means that. Even though I'm not seeing it today, doesn't mean it hasn't been promised for me. So I'm going to ask you this morning. And I think every one of us could probably come up with some kind of story. Where have you failed to take God at his word? And how does that change today? It's time to take God at his word. (laughs) Well, I sure hope you've enjoyed today's podcast. If it has impacted your life, would you share it with your uh, social media? Would you subscribe to this, like it, leave some feedback in the comments below? Also, would you go to our website at wlmiami.com? That's w-l-m-i-a-m-i.com. Go to the Give tab and contribute to what God is doing in northeastern Oklahoma. And if you're in the area, we have services at 10 a.m. on Sunday morning, and you can find us at 135 I Northeast, just across from the campus of NEO. We'd love to see you and experience the presence of God together.